Hello, this is William Fink, and this is the Christagenia Open Forum. It is Monday, March 7th, 2011. Pretty uneventful week at Christagenia, and, and elsewhere. Uh, I don't pay too much attention to news, so get that idea. But I notice that there's um, all kinds of upsetment and, and, and demonstrations and things in all the Af northern African Muslim countries. I wouldn't doubt if it wasn't the Jews and the Mossad and the CIA putting them all up to it in order to drive another million Muslims into Europe, just where we need them. Wonderful. That's okay. Children of Israel, the white race in the world, will prevail. That's the word of God, and we have to believe it. We sure as hell don't have any other hope. We sure as hell aren't going to get ourselves out of this. Not when three quarters of it just three quarters of us just love it. Okay, I, I I got a couple of things to talk about tonight. If you'll um if y'all don't mind, well, one is an email I got on Caleb the Israelite, and and I call him Caleb the Israelite because that's my answer to the question ahead of time. The um this topic has come up. Probably a half a dozen times in the last two years, I, I would bet, and, and it strikes a nerve with me, and, and that's because all somebody has to do to see the truth of the matter is open up Strong's Concordance. Okay, today I thought I would clear this up. I tried to do it in an email earlier this week, but the person who wrote to me um, just didn't get it when I answered, or, or I just didn't make myself clear enough. I will take the blame for that. And Yahweh willing, maybe I could do better here. Concerning the Caleb of the book of Joshua, the hero among the spies who searched out Jericho, as we see recorded in that book, I have seen the same contention many times before. The Caleb is pointed out to be an Edomite, Simply because Esau had a son named Kenaz, and Caleb's father, in, in the book of Joshua, is called a Kenazite, because he had a relation named Kenaz. People that like to say that Caleb's father is a Kenazite descendant of Esau, also take further advantage of a part of Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, where it says of Caleb that another, he had another spirit with him. And they used that to try to make their wayward case for universalism. Well, Caleb is okay. That's what they say. And he was an Edomite. Yeah, right. Well, he wasn't an Edomite. This is sort of like insisting that George, General George Washington, the first president, and, and George Washington Carver must be related simply because they shared a name. Or maybe George Washington Carver is a descendant of his. Or, or a million other things we could make up. It's odd how people think of the Bible, or rather don't think of the Bible, that they can read it, and its context does not matter. If two remote things sound alike, they must be alike. And such a perception is, to say the least, quite childish. First Kenizzites are found in Genesis chapter 15. And a lot of people also say that they are related to Kenaz. Well, the descendants of Kenaz later on probably intermarried with Canaanites and Kenizzites of Genesis chapter 15. But Esau's grandson Kenaz is not mentioned for a few hundred years in the context of Genesis after Genesis chapter 15, many chapters in Genesis later, as having been born in Genesis chapter 36. 
in Esau's genealogy. A lot of commentators would claim that the Kenizzites of the days of Abraham in Genesis 15, and I've heard this before, descended from Kenaz, the grandson of Esau, Kenaz the Edomite. Those people should throw their Torahs in the trash and go back to reading the Talmud, or perhaps Investor's Business Daily, because the Kenizzites of Abraham's time surely can't be descended from a Kenaz who wasn't born for four generations later, maybe five. Abraham, Isaac, Esau, Eliphaz, and then Kenaz. Okay. Here is Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. In the same day Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, unto, the, unto thy seed I have given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So we see Kenizzites named among the tribes of Canaan long before Esau's grandson Kenaz was born. Esau's grandson Kenaz is mentioned in Scripture only in Genesis chapter 36, verses 11, 15, and 42, where it says that they dwelt in the land of their possession, meaning the Dukes of Edom, which we know to be ancient Edom, and where the genealogy of Esau is repeated in 1, Chronicle, 1 Chronicles chapter 1, at verses 36 and 53. So the Kenizzites of Genesis 15 are not the Kenaz of Genesis chapter 36, a grandson of Esau. In Joshua chapter 15, verse 17, we see the name Kenaz mentioned again. This time of Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb. At Judges 1.13 and Judges 3.9, he is called Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Now, later on in Scripture, and I'm going to make the citations here, we see Caleb is called the son of Jephunneh, if I'm saying that right. I'll say it right when I get to it in my notes. The Kenizzite. Well, that's because the word son is often used as a substitute for the word grandson in the Scripture, and... A, a, a grandson is technically a son. He's a son's son. He's a descendant. That's the way the Hebrews used the word. They used it like that quite often in the genealogies. Even the Messiah is called the son of David. When we know that he's 14, 15, 18, 20, I, I don't know how many it is, but he's many generations removed, a descendant of David's. But he's still his son, right? Even though he's a great, 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 great grandson. He's still his son. That's the way the Hebrews use the word son. Your great-grandfather is a father of yours because he's your ancestor. You should revere him as that. You're his son, even though you're his great-grandson, right? That's the way it should be, as long as you're not a mamzer, because then I wouldn't claim you as my great-grandson. That's the way it should be, too. Okay, that's an aside. So we see that um, Caleb's brother, Othniel, is called... Son of Canaz, so Caleb also must be the son of a certain Canaz. Question is whether or not this is Canaz, who is a son of Esau, and it certainly is not, as we shall see. Judges 3:11, we see that 
The land, meaning Israel, this is after the children of Israel occupied the land of Canaan, right? The land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Canaz, died. So we see how old the son of Canaz was, that he lived 40 years after the judges' period began. This is 100 years after the Exodus. The children of Israel were in Egypt for approximately six generations. Therefore, this Canaz lived several generations after the grandson of Esau, because this Canaz, we shall see, was Othniel's grandfather. Having lived several generations after the grandson of Esau, it can't possibly be the same man. Or, or I should say, the same man. I'm sorry. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, we have the genealogy of the tribe of Judah. And at verses 13 through 15, we see, And the sons of Canaz, Othniel and Sariah, and the sons of Othniel, Hathath, and Menothe begot Ophrah, and Sariah begot Joab, the father of the valley of Perashim, for they were craftsmen. Actually, a Kerashim means a um, something that that was made by craft, a tool or or a, or a utensil or, or a um, product of a tool. And the sons of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Iru, Elah, and Naam, and the sons of Elah, even Kenaz. So we see that 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 name Kenaz is repeated again in Caleb's descendants. Okay. At Numbers 13.6 we see, quote, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. And at 14.6 in the book of Numbers we see, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, that land being the land of Jericho. They were the spies that had gone out to Jericho. At Numbers 14.24 we see that Caleb indeed, quote, had another spirit with him, unquote, when it came to following Yahweh. But when we read the entire verse, we'll see that he was being commended for that. Because there, he was being compared to those children of Israel who would not follow Yahweh. The word spirit in Numbers 14.24 has nothing to do with the spirit of God in us, but rather it is used of a mood or a mentality also. And that's how it's used here in Numbers 14.24. We can all have moods and mentalities of rebellion, as all the children of Israel did, and that would make us sinners, which we all are. However, Caleb, in Numbers 14.24, is being commended, not castigated. The people who try to play deceptive word games and con others into thinking that Caleb was an Edomite, those people are blasphemers and slanderers. I've seen this child's... This silly child's trick one too many times. Numbers 34.19 confirms 1 Chronicles chapter 4. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, which I had read a few minutes ago, we see that Caleb and his ancestors and his descendants are mentioned as being in the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe of Judah's genealogy in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Esau's genealogy was given, as I've already mentioned, was repeated in 1 Chronicles also, in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. We see two different Kenazes. We see a Kenaz in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 of, in the tribe of Judah, and we see Kenazes, uh, a Kenaz in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, which is a, a recording of the genealogy that was seen in Genesis chapter 36 of the children of Esau. There are two different men named 
Kenaz. Numbers 34.19 confirms 1 Chronicles chapter 4 where it says, quote, And the names of the men of these, of the tribe of Judah, Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Therefore, Caleb's ancestor Kenaz sure as hell can't be Esau's descendant, Kenaz. We have to have two different men named Kenaz here. It's Joshua 14.6, we see Caleb is called a Kenazite with one Z. That means a descendant of Kenaz, a descendant of some man named Kenaz. Not necessarily the Kenaz in the genealogy of Esau. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, the Kenaz that Caleb is related to is called a descendant of Judah. How could it be a descendant of Esau? The... Um, but we're in Genesis chapter 15 of the Kenizzites there. The word has two Z's. The, the translator spelled it differently, right? Where it says, this is what it says in Joshua 14.6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, unto Joshua. In other words, Canaan, Caleb, Caleb is one of these children of Judah that came to Joshua. And he's the one that's speaking for them. So, Numbers 14, verse 6, clear, I'm sorry, Joshua 14, verse 6, clearly identifies Caleb as being of the tribe of Judah. And Caleb says, Thou knowest the thing that Yahweh had said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. In Joshua chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Caleb's father, Jephunneh, is again called a Kenizzite. In Joshua 15.13 it says this, And unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh he gave a part among the children of Judah. In other words, Caleb was guaranteed this part, in this special part in Judah for the role that he played in being one of the spies that spied out Jericho. According to the commandment of Yahweh to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. We see Caleb inherits land among his tribesmen of Judah again in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, where it's also mentioned. Caleb's father is called a Kenizzite only because he's related to Kenaz. He's a descendant of somebody named Kenaz. To Kenaz, the descendant of Judah, Mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Not to Kenaz the Edomite. How could an Israelite of the Exodus, a man favored by Yahweh, possibly be an Edomite? For the few minutes in a strong concordance, all, it, it would be fully proven that he is not, and it would have saved a lot of time. And, and, and this isn't the person that emailed with me this, this week, that this is not the first time this has come up. It's come up quite often, and that's why I decided, rather than answer another lengthy email, to cover it here tonight. And Caleb was an Israelite. He was of the tribe of Judah, and by no means was he an Edomite. Kenaz, grandson of Esau, was born at least four generations before Kenaz was the grandfather of Caleb. Okay. I have another uh, another person emailing me quite often, and, and he's now going directly into my junk mail because this person is a clown. It, his um he goes by the handle on Talkshu, Mister Rosenblatt. His email address, and, and and I'm not going to um 
I'm not going to withhold it. It's already posted on the Christagenia forum. That because I'm a nice guy like that, right? I can't help myself. His email address is richardm999 at yahoo.com. He also goes by the name Chat Newcomb on TalkShoe because he plays the troll when the little crybaby doesn't get his way. He does it all the time. He doesn't. He you disagree with the man. And he becomes a little bitch and starts playing the troll and interrupting the chats and, and causing trouble. That's how it is. Mr. Rosenblatt, or RichardM999 at Yahoo.com, and I know he listens to these programs, right? I, I know he listened to the one last week because he's a clown. He doesn't like me, but he'll listen to me. He, he has nothing better to do. I, he lives in Florida or on the Atlantic coast, and I'm pretty sure he's a Jew. I wouldn't doubt it one bit. He's emailing me, actually trying to defend the Jews, basically. He, 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 he came up with this um, sleight-of-hand trick to defend the Jews by taking advantage of something in, in a pseudepigraphal book. And, and I'm going to explain that right now. Rosenblatt, because the book of Ezra... It's, it, it's attributed to Ezra. It's not necessarily Ezra's book. We have to make that perfectly clear. The book known by scholars as Four Ezras, which is actually in the King James Apocrypha. In the King James Apocrypha, it's called Two Ezras. It's also called the Apocalypse of Ezra. And it's really, to scholars, it's called Four Ezra, and, and that's the scholar, or Four Ezras, and that's the... the, um, the the title it deserves, because the work of Esdras is actually quite complex. Um, Esdras and Nehemiah were originally a single scroll, and, and later scholars split them into two books that we know as Ezra and Nehemiah. And, and Ezra and Nehemiah are really known to, by scholars as... Um, one Esdras and three Esdras, I believe, and and two Esdras is is um in the King James Apocrypha as one Esdras, and this is really confusing, I know, and and that that is basically simply just a much better copy of the Book of Ezra. All right, the 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 one Esdras in the Apocrypha in the King James is, is a much better, more complete copy of the book that we know as Ezra in our Bible. And, and it's and a very important book. And that's known to scholars as Second Esdras. Well, well, two Ezra in the Apocrypha, or two Esdras in the Apocrypha, is known to scholars as four Esdras, and that's what I would rather call it. And, and that is, to add to the confusion even further, usually split up, into three books because it's clearly three different perspectives when it's studied and, and writing styles. And, and a lot of scholars, and I'm going to quote one in a few minutes, split up four Esdras, which is two Esdras in the King James Apocrypha. They split it up into four Esdras, five Esdras, and six Esdras. The writing that we know as Ezra's or that's identified as Ezra's is pretty complex, and it surely doesn't all belong to Ezra. Because I believe that the Ezra in our Bible is simply just a copy of one Esdras from the Apocrypha that the Jews chopped the parts of uh, out that they didn't like, right? And, and there's a lot of parts in it that they don't like. And, and that's a good book, one Esdras in the King James Apocrypha, or in the Septuagint. Now, now, 
that this book, Four Esdras, or, or what we know as Two Esdras in the King James Apocrypha, it only exists in Latin. There are no Hebrew copies of it, period, at all, and there are no Greek copies of it. And, and I have to mention that this Rosenblatt character is, is emailing me, citing that this is proof that it was not Canaanites and Edomites that killed the prophets but it was, of, of Israel, but it was, um, it was the children of Israel themselves that killed the prophets of Israel. That's what this book, that this Apocalypse of Ezra says in chapter 1. But... It's not a canonical book, and it's left out of Scripture for a damned good reason. Now, there, there are some, not all mainstream scholars are wrong about everything, right? Well, well, there's one mainstream scholar, Daniel Harrington. I'm going to quote him that this is a very sensible, and, and I've studied th this book of, of Esdras, and, and I, I would have to agree with what he says here. For, for, for the most part, and, and it's a very sensible assessment of the book known as Four Esdras, or, or the Two Esdras of the King James Apocrypha, right? Daniel Harrington writes, the work known as Two Esdras is in fact three separate compositions. In them, Ezra functions not as the architect of Israel's return from exile, but rather as a prophet and a visionary. In two Esdras, and, and he's using the King James Apocrypha title for the book, in two Esdras chapters 1 and 2, which are also known as five Ezra, as I just warned, Ezra prophecies about God's rejection of Israel as God's people and its replacement by the church. Well, right away, we should know, and, and that's a good assessment of those verses, right away, we as Christian identists, damn well know that that can't be a canonical book because the literal children of Israel were never replaced by any church. It's just that the Jews are misrepresented as Israel and they take that, that, that title to themselves and it's not true because the Jews are not Israel. Period. This is a Christian work, Harrington states, composed in Greek in the mid-2nd century CE the mid-2nd century CE, he's writing from a secular perspective, right? Secular Jewish perspective. The mid-2nd century AD is when the chapter that Rosenblatt is assailing me with, that's when it was written. It's a Christian work by unknowing Christians, Christians that did not know anything about covenant theology. In 2 Esdras, chapters 13 through 14, now this part's also known as 4 Ezra, Ezra engages in dialogue about the meaning of Israel's sufferings and is granted visions that reveal what God is doing, is going to do in the near future on Israel's behalf. And, and Harrington, writing from a mainstream perspective, says this is a Jewish work written in Hebrew around 100 A.D. Okay, so it's a Judean work written in Hebrew around 100 A.D. But those first two chapters, you won't find written in Hebrew. They were composed in Greek. It's believed they were composed in Greek. We don't have any Greek copies of it. And we don't have any Greek copies of these later verses, chapters, I'm sorry, 3 through 14. It only exists in Hebrew. And, and we'll see why in a minute. The material contained in 2 Esdras chapters 15 and 16 also known as 6 Ezra, consists of oracles of doom against the enemies of God's people, 
and he says that that is the church, and advice on how these enduring persecutions should behave. He says, this is a Christian work composed in Greek in the 3rd century CE. Now, that's all well and good. When Brenton composed the Septuagint, translation in, in English and collected the manuscripts there were no known Greek manuscripts of this work they only have them available in Latin I am in possession so Brenton left them out of the Septuagint I'm in a possession of, of a copy of this which is readily available which was translated from a Latin copy not from any Greek copy it is clear that this work in the Apocrypha and the King James Apocrypha, known as Two Esdras, which you won't find in the Septuagint because we don't have Greek copies of it surviving, it is clear that it is really three separate works, all written by either Christians or Judeans, non-Christian Judeans, in the period which followed the time of Christ. They were not written by Ezra. They teach replacement theology, and we know that replacement theology is not true theology. Paul never taught replacement theology. Paul clearly taught that he was the apostle to the nations of dispersed Israel, which descended from the loins of Abraham and Jacob, as can be proven in Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter I think it's chapter 2, and, and many other passages of Paul's. Okay? So, so, Rosenblatt doesn't have a leg to stand on in this argument. I'm not going to waste my time being involved in long emails with this clown, but I, I thought it would be a good topic of discussion here. Let's see who killed the prophets. Luke 11.45 and replying, one of the lawyers said to him, meaning to Jesus Christ, Teacher, saying these things, you also insult us. So he said, And to you lawyers, woe, because you load men with burdens hard to bear, and these burdens you touch with not one of your fingers. Woe to you, because you build the monuments of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore you are witnesses, and you consent to the works of your fathers, because they killed them, and you build. For this reason also the wisdom of Yahweh says, I shall send to them prophets and ambassadors, and some of them they shall kill, and they shall persecute, in order that the blood of all the prophets spilled from the foundation of the society should be required from this race." And the word genos has to mean race here and not generation, because it's speaking of fathers and sons both near and in the distant antiquity, in the present time and in the remote antiquity. From the blood of Abel under the blood of Zacharias who was killed between the altar and the house, yeah, I say to you, it shall be required from this race. Who is this race? We know from the prophecy of Malachi that there are priests in Jerusalem that are not Levites. Because, as Malachi says in chapter 2, Judah married the daughter of a strange god. Because, Malachi says in chapter 1, Yahweh loved Jacob and hated Esau, we can safely infer that the priests that were practicing in the temple whom Yahweh rejected, and he rejected them, saying in Malachi 2, because my covenant 
is with Levi. So he must have rejected those other priests because they were not of Levi. Rather, they were Edomites and they were Canaanites. The Israelites cannot possibly be held responsible for the blood of Abel. Only the descendants of Cain can be held responsible for the blood of Abel. Yahweh's judgment being just, he would not falsely accuse Israel of the murder of Abel. They were by no means responsible for it. Only Cain was responsible for the blood of Abel. And if Yahweh says, this race, and not these races... And he must mean the descendants of Cain. When we look back through the Old Testament, who do we find killing the priests of God? We find in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22, Doeg the Edomite. We find in the book of 2 Kings, maybe chapters 8, 10, 8, 9, 10, I think in 2 Kings, Jezebel the whore. So, so who, who was probably a Canaanite? So we have Doeg the Edomite and Jezebel the whore killing the priests of Yahweh. We don't see Israelites. It's not recorded anywhere. I mean, Saul ordered men of Israel to kill the priests of Yahweh. And they wouldn't do it. So Doeg the Edomite stepped up and said, I'll do it. And he went and did it. So he's responsible for it. Men of Israel wouldn't kill the priests of Yahweh for King Saul. Corrupt king. So, clearly in Scripture, while the children of Israel very often did persecute the prophets of God, they weren't responsible for their murders. It can't be shown anywhere except where we see Doug the Edomite and Jezebel the whore, who was very likely a Canaanite. It can't be proven, but it can be demonstrated. But there we have it. The descendants of Cain, according to Jesus Christ, are responsible for killing prophets. And Mr. Rosenblatt can go back to being a troll, because he's not getting anywhere with me. Okay, I have one more thing to talk about. Richard Porter died this week. I'm sure he was a good man. He, um, a lot of his work is, it, it may not be perfect, but, but it's published on the Saxon Messenger site. And, um, his niece, Allison Porter, is blaming myself and Sussex man. Yeah, you'll, you'll know Sussex Man is, is an Englishman that comes on the Euro Forum on Christogenia. Alison Porter is blaming myself and Sussex Man for the death of her uncle, who, who was quite aged and, and sick with bronchitis, by the way, because we were publishing his writings against his will. Well, well um, I just asked Sussex Man for permission to print some of the evidence that proves that Richard Porter wanted us to publish his work wherever we, we desired, and, and he was proud to have his work published. And Alison Porter is a British-Israel acolyte, and, and she's, um, she's a pig for the Jews as far as I'm concerned. And, and there's a section on the Saxon Messenger website where I've published letters that I received from her threatening to sue me because I have her uncle's work on my site. Well, well Chris... Sussex Man has the, the proof that we have every um, permission to publish her, uncle, her uncle's work. And I just thought I'd mention that in, in passing. Richard Porter, I'm sure, will be missed. Probably not by his niece. Okay, this is an open forum, and, and I'd appreciate it if, if we had some participation, because um, that, that's what open forums are for, right?
And, and um, I don't have, I'm out of things to say, so I hope somebody wants to pipe up. Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'll just um, end the program if nobody wants to participate. Wow, that's that's pretty uh, pretty bad, Bill. Can't get anybody to, to unmute their microphones. Uh, it's hard, Matt. Thanks for bailing me out. That's the way it is. It, it's um, I, I don't know. Maybe the weather turned nice down south or something. There aren't very many people here, but like there usually are. So, Matt, maybe I'm just boring everybody to death too. I don't know. Yeah, I, I uh, actually didn't even notice how many people were in the in the room. I kind of just got here myself. I'm pretty busy all day. I actually wasn't planning on doing much talking. I thought I would uh, see more participation. But. Oh, that's um. I, I don't know. There's a lot more listeners than there are talkers. What can I say? That that's the way it is. Hello, Bruce. Yeah. Hello, Bill. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, hi, Matt. Got fruitcakes that want to sue people over so trivial, stupid stuff like that, you know. So, uh. Well, well yeah, well, she's British Israel and she's embarrassed about two seed line, that's all, but I don't care about her. I, 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 well, we have plenty of proof that her uncle wants us to, um, publish his work. Hey, Bill. Yeah, we're getting some terrible feedback. I, I guess you don't have, um, a, a headset, right? No. You want me to, uh, back out? But, well, not now, but maybe you should go on push to talk so that there's no feedback. Yeah, let me try. Hang on here. If you go to settings and options, Miss. select capture from the left-hand side of the list. Yeah, my head's been in the uh, techie world here for uh, the last week or so, so I really don't have any wonderful revelations to share with you. Did you listen to the program? Speaking about revelation, did you listen to the program Friday? <laughs> Yeah, I was here. Yeah, I was here. yeah that's right. You, you, well, well, just because you ran the board don't mean you got to listen to it. That's very true. In fact, I know that the week before you didn't have much time to listen to it at all. No, you're right about that. Any better? Are you still getting some feedback? No, no, we're still getting some feedback, Sean. Maybe if you go to settings and options and choose capture from the left-hand list and and. Choose um, push to talk and pick an F key or something you don't normally use to type as a as a hot key, and, and that way when you're talking, as long as nobody else is talking, there won't be any feedback when you're not talking. Okay, then you should be fine. I, I mean, we won't talk when you're talking, or try not to anyway. Let's see, any better? Yeah, because now I can't hear myself when I, when I'm talking and you're not. Good night, Focus Christian. Okay, I just wanted to say uh, thanks for uh, clarifying that uh, that uh, because I'm going to have to uh, record that and give it to the guy who was uh, giving me a hard time about it. Well, well right. This will be available as a podcast um, sometime after I end the program tonight, right? It, it always is. It, it's on Christagenia. Yeah, th thanks a lot for doing that for us. Okay, that's no problem. I, I try to pick a topic... Um, Every Monday night, just to get some conversation going, right, and and spend ten, twenty, thirty minutes with it, but um, so, sometimes longer. But it, it seems tonight they're, they're um, it's a little quieter than normal here. Usually, there's a few dozen people here. They're, they're probably all either um, enjoying the warmer weather or shuffling themselves out from under the snow. I don't know. You know what I understand is how you can spend send 
30 scriptures to these people, showing them who Israel is, and they look for the most obscure one scripture to try to disprove everything that you've shown. Well, right, and, and right up front, you should inform them that, um, you know, no scripture refutes another scripture. If there's scripture that, that, try, that, that appears to show that some other scripture is wrong, then that means somebody's taking something out of context. Because there's no scripture that refutes another scripture. Oh. Well, and, we, and how, many, how many times and how many scriptures do I have to point to these people at this Bible study that shows who's who? And then they, they look for the one obscure scripture and they say, well, then that means it discounts everything. But, well, right. And that means that they're taking that one obscure scripture out of context or it's a poor translation, which there are some in the King James Version and, and most other versions. So my question to you then is, how long do you uh, discourse, how long do you argue with these people in an attempt to show them what we know is the truth before you just wipe off your shoes and say enough with you guys and walk away? Well, I mean, I would give it to them what, once or twice, and that would be about it, right? I mean, we can't, um, all right, I, I don't want to beat my chest, but I, I, few people know more, more about history and, and the Bible and, and the language that, than I could tell somebody. And, and no, no matter how much I think I know, and no matter how good I think I formulated my arguments, the bottom line is that if Yahweh hasn't called them to awakening, I don't care how smart you are, how much Greek you have memorized, how much history you feed somebody, they're not going to get it. If Yahweh hasn't planted that, that seed... And, um, and and watered it, and, and to make them want to know the truth, they're not going to get it. You're not going to give it to them. You, you could know all Greek and all Hebrew and all history, and, and if, if it's not their time to be awakened, it's not going to happen. That's it. That is so true. Can you also look at it, though, and say maybe they're not, they don't have the ability to be awakened? I mean, I, I, I won't say I question these people, and who they are, but, you know, at a certain point, if they're not going to be awakened, maybe they don't have the seat to be awoken. Well, well you know something? I, I know a lot of people in, um, but, well, if, if it's not their time, it's not their time. It's not going to happen. And, and I know a lot of people in identity that, that, are, that are hardcore, true, and, and tried people that, that know this message and, and try to walk the walk as best they can and, and um, and they have brothers and sisters that that are mainstream evangelical freak shows. You you know that that buy all the worship the Jews and and and, and kiss John Hagee's ass. You, you know, so so it's not a genetic thing. It, it's just Yahweh shows us who He wants to awaken and who He doesn't, and and that's part of our understanding the sovereignty of Yahweh over the lives of men, and, and that's the way I see it. So what do you use as a uh, barometer to finally just walk away from somebody before you continue to waste your time? Well, you know, I learned through, through um, I had captive audiences for 12 years, right, being in prison with, with this message. And I was in a situation where um, the guys I spoke to, that they basically had no choice but to talk to me if I wanted to talk to them and, and to listen to me if I wanted them to listen. That, that's the way prison is. And, and um 
I knew that I would get nowhere at all if somebody didn't already have some sort of revelation of, of racial awakening or, or um, understanding that something was wrong with society. I get these evangelicals the, and, or mainstream Catholics or mainstream Baptists and, and these guys know the Bible inside and out and, and I'm telling them what, what the story is and they don't want to hear it. They'd rather go sing Kumbaya with Jose and Leroy. That's the way it is. And, and they'd be happy doing that. But, but I'd take a guy that was a, an absolute, um, I, I don't know how to put it, and, and, and a, um, a total apostate that had a little bit of racial awakening, and he would get it right away. I'd start talking to him, and he would get it. Guys that didn't know anything about religion, they would understand. And they'd go read their Bibles, and, and the whole thing would click. And, and I've had quite, quite, a, quite a bit of experience with both sides of that issue. But where this, these guys that, that, that didn't, that they, they, were, they weren't bad people, they just didn't care about religion, didn't care about life, that they were druggies or whatever they were in prison for, and, and that they knew that something was wrong with those churches, they knew something was wrong with these Negroes, and, and they would get it right away. Because they had that little spark in them, that, that they, they knew something was wrong with the world and society. And Christians are supposed to hate the world. They're not supposed to embrace the world. Today's Christians, mainstream Christians, they love the world. They love the Jews. They love the enemies of God. They love that. That's got to be Revelation chapter 17, verse 17. I don't know what else it could be. False prophet and 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 the um, that Yahweh gave them over to the false prophet because of the sins of of their fathers and and grandfathers these last hundred and fifty years, and, and they're all deceived by the beast. That's the way it's supposed to be. That this is the narrow path. Yeah, you'll have a lot more success with somebody that has just a little glimmer of racial awakening. So I would always, whenever I met a new guy, you know, a new white guy in prison, I, w I would always look for that in him. And if I saw it, then I knew I could talk to him. And, and if I didn't see it, then, then I knew it would be vain. And, and I'd still try quite often, but I knew, I, I knew it would be futile, and, and it, it always was. It becomes frustrating, though. It becomes, you know, I've been dealing with these people since May. I, uh, I joined this Bible study in an attempt to help bring to some of these people I knew outside of Bible study the message, and it's just they do they have no desire to learn. I mean, they, they have points of glimmers in their eye occasionally. They spark when I say something, but then the next week of Bible study, it's just, you know, but refute, but counter, but, you know, parry. I mean, all they're doing is, is just always trying to find a way to counter what I said instead of looking at it as, hmm, maybe there's a little truth in this. Right. Well, well I, I, I don't know. You might want to move on into a different Bible study and, and look for somebody else. I mean, you're doing the right thing, believe me. You're, you're doing a very good thing look, looking for people to bring this message to. That's the noble thing. I, I, I mean, I think... Um, I don't know if that approach is the way to do it, but because I, I, I've had, well, well, I've had nothing but strikeouts in, out in the world for two years. Even with mo all of my own cousins, I, I've just struck out. They don't want to hear it. They think I'm nuts. So, so now I go to family get-togethers and people say, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm a racist. I just slap them across the head with a brick, right? Be because the soft pedal approach didn't work and the logical approach didn't work and... <laughs> Gotta love it, a professional racist. So um, that, that's that, that's the way I answer them because that ju just sort of slaps them. You know, the community's so small, and 
people who are awoken are so small and so few far between that if you have somebody out there that, you know, is, has a family, wants to, wants to fellowship with people of like mind, I mean, really, you, you got to look for, for other people who are slightly, like you said, with a glimmer of racial awareness to try to talk and teach about this. Otherwise, there's nobody really for you to fellowship with. Right, and, and where you live, it, it's I'm I'm sure it, if you're as remote as I think you are, it's pr- probably pretty hard to find people with racial awareness, and and that's because from from my own experience, you have to live with them to know them. You have to see them to know them. You really do. If you don't see them up close and personal, to get to understand these these aliens, the Mexicans, the Negroes, that then um the Puerto Ricans, that then you don't know them, and and your impression of them is what you've learned on television, which is all positive. Is is that why they say that former Wiggers make the best racists? <laughs> well, yeah, that's probably true, Mike. That that's probably true. Heck yeah, Mike. Mike ought to know. <laughs> you really have to. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, nah, you go ahead, Sean. Well, you know, we I, I live in a town in uh, northern Colorado that uh, you know is pretty much divided. You got the west side, which is uh, white upper scale, mi- middle to upper class, uh, good uh, restaurants, good uh, shopping centers, and then you got the east side. Uh, which is strictly Mexican. They were all Mexican farm laborers back in the 50s, and now they're second and third generations, and it's nothing but stabbings and shootings and and, uh, killings and rapings and carjackings, and all they keep trying to do is rejuvenate the old town over there and bring all of us over there and then force them to come over here. I mean, they actually bring them over to our rec center from the east side of town just so they can be over at the new rec center here, and then they ruin the rec center over here. I just... I. It's 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 just so frustrating sometimes. You don't know where you can move and where you can go to get away from it. It's just a vicious circle. I'll tell you what, where me and Chuck live, man, them people up there seem to be a little more racially aware than other places I've been. Actually, I can't say that. Kingman, Arizona was actually pretty racially aware. You'd think every place in Arizona had tons of Mexicans, and they had hardly there. Well, I, I, I see more people every day, even people in my business, which is a professional business, saying things, doing things, uh, snickering, passing comments that they would not have done five, ten years ago. I think people are finally getting fed up to the point where even non-racially aware people are starting to, to feel the pressure. But, well, maybe that's how you should approach this What with people is first by pointing out the destructive forces that are, are follow the other races wherever they go. Because wherever you export Mexicans, you're going to have Mexico. And wherever you export Africans, you're going to have Africa. It's, it's just, I mean, if we don't understand that by now, after all these years, of look at Detroit. Detroit is Africa. Look at Newark. Newark is Africa. Bed-Stuy, Bedford-Stuyvesant, the, the section in, in New York City. That, that's Africa. Or, or it might be Puerto Rico now. I, I don't know what it is that, this month. But um, that's the way they are. Wherever, you, you can't get the jungle out of the savage. It don't work. No, you simply ask people. You say, uh, you know, why are third world countries third world countries? Well, well exactly. And... and that's the big lie of Wall Street. Developing economies never develop, and emerging markets never emerge. It's all a lie. It's all a Jew 
eight slight sleight of hand bait and switch technique. Well, you know, you were, you know, I was even watching on YouTube the other day. I was uh, searching some stuff out, and I found this black African who has probably about 30 videos on YouTube that makes makes the claim that blacks are Israel. And it was absolutely oh, amazing. It was absolutely amazing that, that, that they can't even, that they're now trying to usurp that and take that from us also. I think that yeah, the Jews and that, that that started, I think, in Michigan with with the Jews in Michigan teaching the Negroes that. That's my opinion. That seems to be my, my um from my experience with those people. It's a lot of those Negroes in prison that, that yeah, latch right onto that. And these these dumbasses don't even. I mean, they don't even know any of the history or anything. They just been sold this lie down the river so that we can contend with more identity thieves. That's what happens when you give somebody a 75 IQ a book to read. That they, they, they read just well enough to get themselves in trouble. They see three or four passages in there and take them out of context and run with them. Exactly. Bill, this has been nice. i got to go and put kids down. I appreciate you uh, clarifying that for us, and I'll, uh, I'll keep a copy of that recording as soon as you get it up, uploaded. Well, kids are a lot more important than me. So, so um, yeah, enjoy the kids, and, and God bless, and thanks for coming. Have a good night. Have a good night. Good night. Hey, John, that video posted just says this video has been removed because of content violating terms and services. Yeah, well, I saw it last night, and it was about this white couple stupid enough to live in a black hood, and they, uh, the white guy was being uh, pushed around by a bunch of black guys. Uh, you know, I give the guy credit for standing up for himself, but uh, the woman, she came out of the house yelling, they're screaming. And, uh, you know, or just yelling at these guys and threatening them. I was like, woman, you, oh, gosh, they don't know when to keep the mouth shut, some of these women today. And they know how to handle a situation like that. It's, uh, it's, they, they shouldn't even be in that neighborhood. Yeah, there's no way we're going to be taking back any of our neighborhoods. No, you'd have to kill these people. I mean, sorry, no, sorry to mention it here, but, uh, I mean, that's what you have to do to defend yourself if you're like one of the one of the minority. Right, exactly. But we're not, you know, we're what what group of white people in their right mind are going to try and move into a, a formerly white area that's been destroyed by uh, by beasts anyway? I don't know. I wouldn't do it. It's just uh, just common sense to me. I don't know why what they're doing there. Maybe they were just on welfare or something, or they they just couldn't afford anything else. Look at this. Eli would love this. Why don't somebody send this this video to Eli? It's a total fake. I, I think it's patched up from stuff from Haiti and other disasters. It, it's supposedly a leaked Obama video about some disaster that's going to happen on December twenty first, twenty twelve. Imagine that. And, and some clown patched it up. I think out of out of some Obama videos and, and threw it on YouTube. That's what I, I'm sure it is. But it's Obama talking to... They tried to put, like, captions on it to make it look like it's the aftermath of something that's going to happen in the future. And it's a government plot that's planning this because this is a leaked video. The whole thing is just a forgery. It's just a, um, a, a phony, I'm certain. That's my opinion, anyway. There's a... Uh, Somebody should send it to... I'm sorry, Matt. Um, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bill. 
I just want to say somebody should show it to Eli and, and see what he thinks about it. Maybe it'll be in his next mailing. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the Haiti video because I actually used a clip of that same video in my uh, Haiti versus Iowa video I made. Yeah, that's what I figured, Mike. That that's patched. Yeah, you know, it's patched from pieces of Haiti video and maybe some other video mentioned in George Bush and and somebody patched it together trying to be slick, right? I wonder how many people will fall for it. Great government conspiracy. They're going to blow up half the world on December 21st, 2012. Speaking of the craziness going on in the Middle East, man, boy, they got a hammer out against Gaddafi. They, you know, they didn't really care that all the crap was going on in Yemen and Bahrain. And they did a little bit in Egypt right, because they're right next door to Jew, Jewlandia. But, uh, man, they've just got a huge bone against Gaddafi. they Oh my God! A brutal dictator, no fly zone. He's, he's killing everybody. Uh. Well, well, I'm sure it's the Mossad and the CIA behind this one. That, that's and I saw a a, a um, mainstream news clip about the situation in Libya, and it was so staged. I, I mean, it was just terrible. Well, they caught. Um, I guess they caught British special forces already down there. Got captured by the uh, Gaddafi military. Well, why am I not surprised? Mossad won't even do it for themselves now. They have to have the British do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cowardly Jews. <laughs> there was a, a video that um, that Exabouche had had put out on Facebook, and it's it's a really creepy video where it it <clears throat> it draws. The parallels between all the, the the facial points between Osama bin Laden and Barack Obama. I mean, it's unbelievable what this video shows you. Well, maybe Barack Obama is Osama bin Laden. Well, well, that's basically what this video is showing. <laughs> maybe um. Maybe Osama got tired of playing chess with the Jews on Miami Beach, so so he just dressed himself up and went to Chicago and ran for president. No, I'm kidding. I'm half kidding. <laughs> that they're brothers. That they're both Arabs. Right. So that's how you get an Arab is mixing a white with a black or um, or with a Jew. Well, yeah, that's what an Arab is. But but I think that they probably yeah you know if I had to guess. I would think that they would that they had more Dravidian blood in them than than African Negro. You know, the 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 blacks of Southern India have straight, thick black hair, and and a lot of Arabs have that same hair, right? But a few Arabs do have the kinky African Negro type hair, but but they're a minority, I would think. Well, I've seen some Egyptians like that. Yeah, they got that uh, Rastafarian look. Especially among the younger. Yeah, that's what an Arab is. An Arab is mixed. They got to be mixed from something. The word means mixed. All right, we got to have more to talk about tonight. I mean, it's only been fifty-five minutes, sixty-five minutes. It, it, we, we can't be dead yet here. It's, it's probably the most sparsely attended open forum I've had in three years, though. Two years, three years, two years. Yeah, I'm surprised too. Well, I shovel snow all day today. Eighteen inches of snow. Uh, uh, just when I thought spring was here, I, I got a mean trick. Our onions. Yeah, we uh, it, it got real warm here, and we had we had rain for almost 24 hours straight, and then it turned to snow. We got about five inches. 
and it's almost all melted already. Hey, uh, Bill. Yes. How many hours of driving are you away from Bob's house? About four and a half, I would guess. Okay. Trying to trying to plan a road trip pretty soon here. Oh, we're gonna at least get up to Bob's and try and see if we can swing up there. Before these gas prices actually do hit four dollars a gallon. Yeah, right. Well, well, if you don't, I'll be coming down south next summer. But I don't know when I'm ever going to the to the UP in Michigan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be out of this area by May. So. Yeah, I can't come down south for another year. I, I can't. I'm I'm still on that chain. Are you, are you planning on being down by Bob's anytime soon? Well, well my, I, I would I, I would have coordinated it so I could meet you there, but my mother's going in for knee replacement surgery, and, and I really can't, right? She's going in on March 23rd for knee replacement surgery, so I really can't travel until she's past the therapy stage of that, right? Okay. So it's going to be a good eight weeks before I could leave the house. I'm going to have to take her back and forth for therapy and doctor's appointments and shopping trips and help with the cooking and stuff like that because she'll, you know, she'll, she's getting her knee replaced, I mean. But there's got to be some downtime associated with that. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, she may be out about four weeks, uh, maybe a, perhaps more. Well, I'm going to make this a, a short open forum session, and we can move down to the open house. and, and um, Because if we don't have anything really, really... Scriptural and pertinent to talk about. I, I I don't see trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip, right? Yeah, Bill. I'm sorry. I I was gonna read James chapter five tonight, and I just didn't go. I just fell asleep right after work. Okay. Well, well, you could save James chapter five, and we could discuss it next week, right? Thanks. Thank you. Thanks everybody for being here. And good night. Praise Yahweh.